When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. From my perspective, at this moment, the decision to begin the normalization process at the September FOMC meeting seems less compelling to me than it was a few weeks ago. But normalization could become more compelling by the time of the meeting as we get additional information on how the U.S. economy is performing and more information on international and financial market developments, all of which are important in shaping the U.S. economic outlook. That was William Dudley of the Federal Reserve speaking after three dramatic days in the markets, which have thrown out many projections about the state of the global economy and the prospects of a US rate hike. I'm Roger Blitz, and welcome to Hard Currency, the FT's weekly podcast looking at the ups and downs in Forex, the world's biggest financial market. And the ups and downs in the markets reached extremes this week as investors took fright at China's currency devaluation and the state of its economy, then reacted positively to its decision to cut rates and then wasn't so sure after all and sold off again. With me to discuss the implications of all this is Paul McNamara, EM Portfolio Manager at GAM Holding. Paul, how was it for you, as it were, these last few days? Well, uh, running an EM portfolio has been pretty traumatic. Also, it's been a very rough year in emerging markets. So for us, it was more of a culmination of, uh, you know, uh, we've had weakness consistently. That A lot of that weakness has been sourced in China. So it was like an, a particularly intense dose of what we've been seeing all year. So how does the last few days matter? I mean, give me a sense of whether you think anything is particularly different. Were there any market developments from the last few days that made you think, hang on, this really is bad? Really different in terms of changing the way the Fed could respond, you know, by pushing the rate hike back. I was really quite surprised to hear that because the Fed, you know, has usually made the point, it's our currency, but your problem, that it's no part of their mandate to look at what's happening in the rest of the world, apart from the extent to which that affects the US. And emerging markets aren't really that important to the US. So while I think what's happened does seem to be blowing over at the moment, so we'll see what the lasting impact is for EM, I think it's most unlikely to make a major difference in how the Fed behaves. Just give me a sense of this being August and the kind of volatility we had around. There were some amazing um, movements. Uh, there was the VIX index. There was um, the 1,000-point fall in, in Wall Street Industrial Average. I mean, look, they'd come back, but what do you make of all that? This is really second order, though, in terms of what the Fed looks at. I mean, the reason that they postponed tapering QE the first time, which people have got, was really uh, developments in the bond market and especially the mortgage market that it began to sort of choke off the slow recovery in, in mortgage finance. So, you know, it's variables like that or going further back, what happens to money market rates, what happens to swap spreads. I think it's sort of fixed income and money market variables, which matter more than the VIX or the Dow to the Fed. Okay, well, let's look at Dudley's comments. Less compelling, he says, about the case for September. Does that nail it for you? No, absolutely not. He's not the most senior uh, member of the FOMC. There's a spread of views across there. They've made it 
abundantly clear that they're data dependent. So what he immediately went on to say was, we will respond to the data that comes in between now and now and the meeting. And so nothing has really changed, I don't think. I mean, there's, all he's saying is for one person on the committee, at the margin, his thinking has changed. Well, this really goes to the relationship between the US as an economy and the rest of the world, therefore. I mean, the extent to which, as you say, the Fed cares about it, we have heard this year Yellen, for example, talk about the importance of the global economy. So what really is important about the global economy when we look at the US? Two things. One is financial conditions, you know, to the extent that uh, US financial markets are tied into financial markets elsewhere. That's something that the Fed has to respond to. And two is what happens to the dollar and to the US export sector. And at the very peak of the the fastest point of dollar acceleration, it began to creep into Fed thinking. And it was you know raised by more than one FOMC member that that dollar strength to a certain extent is doing the Fed's work for it. Mm. So, I mean, there are linkages between the US and the rest of the world. But it, in a lot of ways, the dollar and the US are more important to most countries than the world at large is to the US, which remains a fairly closed economy. Yeah, so the, in fact, the connection between China and the US is an indirect one, isn't it? It's not the direct trade. Well, there's two. I mean, there, there are the trade links, and obviously, we're getting some political hay being made out of the devaluation as a source of competitiveness. The other thing which I think we're going to be hearing more and more about is that as we see the financial flows to China probably reverse somewhat, and China be, maybe has to run down its reserves a little bit, then a marginal source of demand for US treasuries that this could lead to higher and steeper yield curves in the US, for example, because the People's Bank of China really owns an awful lot of treasuries, certainly comparable with um, the amount the Fed has bought under QE, for example. Yes. But one thing we do know about the Fed is it's cautious. <laughs> do you agree with that? I would agree with that, yes. <laughs> okay. And it seems to be searching for a very narrow, benign set of conditions for hiking. Given what's happened in the last few days, and given the continued turbulence we might be able to expect, it's going to keep searching and searching and searching. Well, maybe. I mean, I think the key word Dudley used was normalisation, that the idea is that this is not the natural level of rates for an economy that's functioning more or less. I mean, not everything that we'd, we'd want for it, but the US economy is more or less functional. So zero rates are not a normal state of affairs, that they're, mm. they're, they're kind of intensive care. And all their talk is, is kind of just reducing the dosage to the patient a little bit. Yes, but did they have to shift their data dependence a bit? Or do you think they will stick as as hard and as fast as they can? I think there does become a point where the Fed's refusal to act actually becomes a problem because then you're told, well, this economy is so delicate, it can't bear normalisation of, of financial conditions. But I think as long as the data is not pointed to any urgent need to raise rates, it would be strange for them not to respond to that. So the financial conditions you think that they may start taking into account, to what extent do you think they could worsen? Uh, I was so far so good, really, in terms of the financial variables, all the stuff that we used to watch back in 2008. You know, there's really no sense of stress in the money markets. And that's where the problem would be. It's perfectly possible we get another round of volatility in equity markets because volatility tends to create volatility everywhere. You know, you've got leverage everywhere. You've got just psychology, people's expectations being changed. So it'd be no surprise for us to continue to get turbulence. But I really think for this to actually 
affect how the Fed behaves. It has to affect either the dollar and the broader dollar um, index, or it has to affect uh, money market conditions. And I don't think either is really being impacted materially now. Okay. Well, let me just look at it from the currency's perspective. And I just want you to look at the readings of the movements of currencies over the last few days. Take it back longer if you wish, but I'm going to ask you about this in three segments. First off, the dollar. What do you make of some of the movements around the dollar in, the, in recent days? Well, I think the really interesting thing about the dollar is that it's been trading in a range that it hasn't gapped very aggressively one way or the other. Again, looking back to, I mean, 08 is such an extreme example, but I mean, it is noticeable when there is real stress in the market, or even 07, the dress rehearsal you like we had, you get very sharp directional moves in the dollar. And we haven't seen those, you know, we've seen ranges of maybe three or 4% against the majors, which given the move in the VIX, the move in the S&P really isn't that large, that we haven't seen a clear association with one direction of dollar move mm. with the other elements of market turbulence. Even so, do we say that the dollar bull run is tapering or plateauing? I think I think the dollar bull run ends when the US stops being the outstanding growth prospect of the big economies. You know, I mean, Europe is beginning to come off its sickbed. And obviously, we're seeing Japan looking a little bit healthier, the UK looking a little bit healthier. But as long as the US really does stand out, which it does at the moment, probably to a greater degree than it has for some time, I think it would be premature to call the end to the dollar bull run. Except that I suppose it's the strength of the dollar bull run may weaken somewhat. Is that is that a reasonable? It assumption? may, it may. I mean, I think um, you know currencies are so volatile and so difficult to forecast that trying to be that specific, I'm, I'm not really sure that's my. Okay, thing. that was the dollar. So it's, it's the other ones I want to look at. First of all, the other G10 currencies. We saw a huge spike in the euro at the beginning of this week's turmoil, but that's come back again. And that has exactly that's that's come back a bit. I think it's going to be very growth centric. I mean, the outstanding G10 currency of late has been sterling, really, and growth here has been relatively good, certainly compared with other places. You know, that it's been euro growth actually more than the peripheral problems that we're getting over at the moment, which have driven. So I think. The short answer is just watch what the prospects for growth are. You know, with the commodity currencies, such as the Australian dollar or the Canadian dollar, probably bringing up the rear, because it does look as if commodities have a little bit further to go. But on the euro, there has been some talk about the ECB perhaps extending the stimulus in the light of some of this volatility and China-related slowdown. So what do you make of that? I mean, I just don't think it matters. The end of European QE is sufficiently far off that we're going to see an awful lot of data. We're going to see an awful lot of global development we've never even contemplated, that I think it's really not an interesting thing to talk about. Perhaps perhaps what we can rely on is the Bank of Japan probably extending stimulus. I think so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, yes. Okay, and and so the the other group is it's clear the EM currencies. Well, what do you make of the movements we've seen there? A continuation of of what we've seen most of the year. I mean, it's, it's been a very very tough year to be running an EM currency portfolio. I mean, I think the biggest driver has been commodities. A very big chunk of the of the biggest emerging markets, you know, Brazil, South Africa, Russia, are dependent on commodities and. Oil aside, China is far and away the biggest driver of commodity prices. I mean, I think the biggest surprise for us is not that China has slowed or made some small adjustments to the currency, but that this came as such a surprise. I mean, it's been so clear that Chinese credit growth has to slow, so clear that that will reduce in slightly slower growth in China. Why is it such a shock? So what we were taken aback by was really more the market reaction than what was driving the market reaction. Yes, and the fall in EM currencies has been so steep for a while that perhaps... Could you see a a turn? 
I think in some places, because we're already seeing adjustment, you know, country, there are a lot of emerging markets which import commodities. I mean, India, I think, is the outstanding, Poland, Mexico. I think that they will come back. But the big problem, and it's, it's that word again, is growth, is that emerging markets, broadly speaking, don't have a domestic engine. I mean, we had a brief surge in credit after the financial crisis when most emerging markets cut rates at the same time as the developed world. But, you know, with the credit leg kicked away, the export leg, be it commodities to China or manufacturing goods and services to the developed world, isn't kicking in in sufficient strength to really drive EM. I think it's maybe a little bit... We've seen such an adjustment, I think I'd hesitate to see it going down much further. But I think without the engine of growth, I don't think we're going to see a strong EM currency rally. And on China... Have we overplayed the dire forecast of China slowdown? Are you more confident about China than perhaps others? I think we're in line with probably at the lower end of consensus on China, you know, growth coming in high fives, low sixes in the medium term, and with the real numbers maybe being a little bit less than that. But two things which definitely don't matter are particularly at the stock market, where we've seen probably the fifth or sixth huge expansion and collapse of multiples certainly since I've been doing this job, and at what's quite a small currency move in the broader scheme of things. I mean, the Chinese renminbi gained about 30% in trade-weighted terms by being tied to the dollar as the dollar appreciated, not just against the emerging markets, but also against the developed world. So all they've done is take back a tenth of that and given themselves a mechanism for maybe making similar adjustments in the future. I don't think that anything that's happened over the last couple of months has sent us any really major new news about China. I mean, China is going to slow, but that really shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. And market reaction, the next time China devalues or pushes down, who knows what well, we'll that... hope next time that the market is going to behave <laughs> a little a bit, bit more rationally. A bit more rationally. Thank you very much to Paul McNamara of GAM. If you'd like to comment on this podcast, please email me on roger.blitz at ft.com. You can follow all the latest Forex news and analysis on our website, ft.com slash fx. Next week, it's the beginning of September. Holidays are over and there's a US payrolls data to analyse. But after a week that we've just had, that may be not as significant as it once appeared to be. Join us again next week to find out. Goodbye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our FT News podcasts, which focus on one of the main issues of the day and bring you the insights and expertise of our global network of journalists, as well as outside contributors. You can download these at ft.com slash podcasts most days of the week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.